Welcome to Flight Talk with Dave and Jeff, brought to you by Strategic Results. Today, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonels Dave and Jeff will tell us about the risk of bird and wildlife strikes in aviation and how BASH, the Bird and Wildlife Aircraft Strike Hazard Program, has evolved to develop techniques to protect planes, pilots, passengers, and animals. Dave and Jeff both served in the Air Force and are now working as aviation safety advisors for the Air National Guard. First, Jeff will tell us about the highest altitude bird strike he has heard of in aviation history. Hey, I'm Jeff, and uh, today we're going to talk about an issue that's uh, real common between civil and military aviation, which is the, uh, the hazard of birds. Bird strikes are about as old as uh, aviation themselves, which Dave's going to talk about here in just a minute. But generally speaking, Dave and I both have, have military backgrounds. Most military aircraft uh, operations, there's a higher problem with damaging bird strikes because a lot of what we do is in the low-level environment. As you know, most bird strikes can occur in almost any phase of flight, most likely to occur at the takeoff and uh, initial climb-out approach and landings due to the, the greater number of birds at low altitudes. But don't become complacent with that, the highest bird strike that, that I've heard of, believe it or not, is 21,000 feet. And it was a KC-135 during air refueling with a B-1 that uh, hit multiple ducks. And I would think at 21,000 feet, ducks might be hypoxic. I know I would. <laughs> what happened was, uh, apparently, in the review of this, it happened over the desert. And apparently, birds like to migrating birds like to climb to higher altitudes sometimes to avoid the warmer air near the ground. So they'll initiate a, a step climb, kind of like we do in airplanes, to get away from the the warmer, drier altitude. So, 21,000 feet, believe it or not, is the highest bird strike <laughs> that that I've heard of recorded. And as you all know, birds mostly fly during the day, so most of the strikes occur um, during daylight hours. But interestingly, 25% occur at night, and most of them occur, at least in North America, in the late summer through the fall and through the late winter and early spring, because that's when the migration period occurs. And last year, the Air Force had over 4,000 bird strikes, almost $20 million worth of damage. And the FAA in 2018 recorded 16,000 bird strikes. But an interesting statistic to go with that is that 80% of all bird strikes go unreported. Now, I have a, a background in, uh, in T-38s, and one of the interesting things that a lot of people who flew T-38s or fly T-38s probably don't know is the airplane was originally designed without a bird-resistant windscreen. I'm not talking the canopy, talking the windscreen here. And the thought was that the birds would get caught in the slipstream and then pass right over top of the fuselage. Well, obviously, that didn't come to pass. Um, we've lost a few T-38s to bird strikes over the years, uh, and the Air Force fixed that problem. So the Air Force usually steps up, and when they see a problem, they try to fix it. Dave will now introduce the first ever recorded bird strike and other significant bird strike accidents, including the famous Miracle on the Hudson. These events have had major impacts on how bird strikes are managed in the Air Force. 
Hi, I'm Dave. As Jeff pointed out, birds and aircraft have been a threat to one another since the very earliest days of, uh, of aviation or powered flight. The Wright brothers, uh, meticulous folks that they were, recorded their first strike in 1905. It's well over 100 years ago. The first fatal strike occurred uh, to an aviation pioneer. It happened to be a pioneer, Mr. Cal Rogers. He's the first person to fly all the way across the United States, and it took him a, a lot of hops to do it, uh, but he eventually did it. So one day in 1912, uh, Cal took off for a demonstration flight in Long Beach, uh, California, and unfortunately flew into a flock of birds, causing uh, his airplane to crash uh, into the ocean. Uh, that's the first known fatality due to uh, a wildlife strike. Uh, Mr. Cal Rogers, American aviation pioneer. Another tragic event occurred in 1960 at the Logan International Airport, which serves uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, that was Eastern Airlines Flight uh, 375, a Lockheed Electra uh, airliner with uh, 72 people on board. They took off from Logan, and about six seconds after takeoff, the airplane encountered a huge flock of uh, starlings, small to medium-sized birds, but there are many of them, uh, which were drawn uh, into the engines, resulting in a significant loss of thrust, maybe a complete loss of thrust. In fact, continued flight was no longer possible. Uh, the airplane uh, uh, crashed into the Winthrop uh, Bay section of Boston Harbor. The entire sequence was less than a minute. Uh, 62 of the 72 people on board were killed. And uh, I understand it remains the greatest loss of life uh, directly uh, linked to a bird strike to date. Now remember in 1995, the Air Force experienced a tragic event. An E-3 uh, Airborne Warning and Control System, AWACS uh, is the acronym JET. It's a variant of the uh, Boeing 707 with 24 crew members on board. It held for takeoff while another aircraft was cleared for takeoff in front of them. And as, as that aircraft lifted off, it stirred up a flock of Canada geese at the far end of the runway who'd been loafing on the grass. Uh, and then uh, the E-3 was cleared for takeoff. Of course, the E-3 pilots were too far away to see these birds airborne. And so they barreled down the runway uh, for takeoff. And just after they lifted off, the two left side engines uh, ingested Canada geese and completely lost thrust. The two engines on the right wing were still operating, but producing ins insufficient thrust to keep the airplane airborne. Uh, my experience with four-engine airplanes, a four-engine airplane can always fly on three engines, but not necessarily on two if it's too heavy. And in this case, it apparently was, and the airplane just went straight ahead and exploded into a, a wooded area. 24 good people on board were lost in that uh, tragedy. Uh, the Air Force did and does take that risk very, very seriously. I know from my 31 years experience in the Air Force. If we fast forward to January uh, 2009, a miracle occurred. I was in my office in Connecticut, which is about 100 miles east of New York City. On a, it was a freezing cold winter day. It was a perfectly clear day, but it was freezing cold. Around four o'clock or so in the afternoon, my wife called me at the office, told me to turn on the television, which I did, and the news was on. And there was a remarkable sight. Uh, there was an airliner in the Hudson River with a bunch of people on the wings, and it was surrounded by, by ferry boats and I believe other boats. Uh, what in the world happened here? Well, that of course was US Airways Flight 1549, probably one of the most well-known wildlife strikes in history, probably the most well-known wildlife strike in history. It's known as the Miracle on the Hudson. It was, a, it was an A320 Airbus, which launched from LaGuardia. Destination was Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. They were just below 3,000 feet in the air, I believe, when they collided with a flock of Canada geese, which resulted in a complete loss of thrust in both engines. The only option they had, in my opinion, 
is what they did. They had just enough altitude available to glide down into the Hudson River. It was an absolute miracle. All 155 people survived. It was a magnificent performance by the captain, the first officer and the entire cabin crew, as well as uh, the captains and the deckhands of the ferry boats who were immediately on the scene. The risk is taken very, very seriously today. The accidents that Dave just mentioned were the result of bird strikes. Jeff will now talk about a wildlife strike that occurred because of an unexpected animal. So we're not just talking birds here. Dave mentioned wildlife strikes and we open the aperture a bit and we go beyond birds and include wildlife in that. And a couple of the more interesting wildlife strikes that we've had Back at Beale in uh, 1977, there was a KC-135 tanker doing uh, touch-and-goes at night. And some cows broke through <laughs> the perimeter fence and wandered onto the runway. And unfortunately, the uh, while they were doing one of their touch-and-goes, they struck five or six cattle. Uh, they aborted the takeoff. The uh, the airplane went off the runway and burned. But but fortunately, the uh, the crew was uninjured in that. Interestingly, I, I think the Oak Club probably had steaks for a week uh, <laughs> after that. Um, another interesting wildlife strike was the Smithsonian does all our bird remains analysis to tell us uh, what, what kind of bird we struck. And they came back once with a deer at 3,000 feet. Apparently, an airplane hit a deer at 3,000 feet. So we talked about ducks at 21,000 feet and the improbability of that, but a deer strike at 3,000 feet. And what had happened was a vulture had fed on the deer and then struck the airplane. <laughs> when, they, when the Smithsonian did their DNA sample, they found deer in it, but it turned out that the vulture had been feeding on the deer and they eventually found uh, deer DNA in there too. But initially it was ruled a deer strike. So the uh, <laughs> ducks at 21,000 feet and deer at 3,000 feet. Are you sure it wasn't a unicorn, Jeff, maybe? No, they, they said deer on that one. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I've cleared for airplanes and I've cleared for birds, but I don't think I've ever cleared for deer at altitude. <laughs> Very good point, Jeff. Uh, you mentioned the Smithsonian Institution. Their feather identification lab uh, is on the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. Uh, what those folks do is they identify the species of uh, wildlife strikes, all wildlife strikes uh, in the Air Force, the Navy, uh, and also the FAA. And uh, they, do, they do an outstanding job. And so if you, the idea is that if you know what species you're hitting, you know what species inhabits your airfield environment, uh, you can better manage the risk. You know, are we hitting gulls? Are we hitting uh, kestrels? Are we hitting uh, uh, red-tailed hawks? Are we hitting uh, Canada geese? A very important service that they perform for the, uh, for the Air Force and Navy and the FAA. After introducing some notable bird strike events, Jeff and Dave will share their personal experience with bird strike and the lessons that they have learned from it. Now, when I took flying lessons back in 1970, long, long, about 50 years ago or so at the Wyndham Airport in Connecticut, uh, I didn't know anything about aviation, but I was, uh, before I even soloed, uh, we're barreling down the runway in a, in a little Cessna 150 uh, trainer type aircraft. And we got airborne and then right in front of me, there was a bird that looked like he or she was 
desperately trying to stay out of my way. And so I manipulate the flight controls to try to stay out of his or her way. And uh, fortunately, we avoided her. But the instructor told me not to do that anymore. Just keep on going. Said, uh, what if you crashed trying to miss him? Well, he had, a, he had a point there. But the other message I think got through uh, was that there wasn't anything you can do about it. Uh, they're there and, and we're there. We just hope you don't hit any. But that's not the way we look at it anymore. The threat to uh, aircraft from wildlife is now known as a manageable risk. And there are things you can do about it. You know, in, in my career, I've, I've been pretty fortunate. Had bird strikes, never really had any seriously uh, damaging bird strikes. I've hit birds with the, the engine before, but one of the uh, more interesting bird strike or bird hazard stories that I have was when I was playing T-38s at Beale. It was uh, January 2nd. It was the uh, second day of the year, but it was the first flying day of the year. And we were the first sortie to take off that day. And there was a low cloud deck, probably a, a thousand feet overcast and maybe a thousand foot thick deck. And as we were accelerating, as we hit the base of the deck, suddenly there was a huge flock of ducks. There was no time to try and avoid them. Uh, we just drove through the center of them and into the cloud deck. And and our first thought was there were so many birds that we had to have hit something. And the uh, other pilot in the back seat and I both checked the engine instruments and they looked good. And, and we looked around what part of the fuselage we could see and, and didn't see any bird remains, but elected to uh, discontinue the sortie and jump into the radar pattern and make one to a full stop. And as we came back around, we're coming down the, uh, the ILS final and we descend into the deck. And as we get through the deck and punch out the bottom, there's either that same flock of ducks or another flock of ducks. <laughs> and we fly right through them again. And I remember thinking, we can't be that lucky twice. But again, engines were running fine. Airplane didn't appear to have any damage. Landed, arrow braked to stop the jet and lowered the nose to finish up with wheel braking. I'm not ashamed to admit it. But my legs were shaking so hard that uh, I could barely get the jet jet stopped. And I think the the one the one lesson that that I took away from that was we immediately told Tower that there was a a, a flock of ducks that were were scud running, and uh, we ran into them at two locations. So basically, if you see a, a wildlife hazard on or near the airfield, uh, pass it along to the controlling agency so they can let other other air crews know. Jeff and Dave have shared personal and historical bird strike accidents. As a result of these incidents, there are a few useful techniques that they will share about how airfields prevent bird strikes. There are several techniques that airports can use uh, to manage the risk. Uh, the Air Force, which is where my experience comes from, is way on top of this. The Air Force has published excellent guidance on managing the risk uh, for, for a long time. I'm not a scientist myself, but I learn much of what I know from people who are scientists. Uh, uh, one thing I've, I've been taught is that the habitat management or habitat manipulation, uh, that's one of the most important things you can do. It's at the heart of the matter. Uh, if, if you can get this right, everything else I think becomes uh, easier. Uh, make your airfield habitat as unattractive as you can to birds uh, and other wildlife. Uh, an example, and one important thing is that the Air Force uh, mandates, that the Air Force mandates is to maintain an intermediate grass height 
which is uh, a grass height of 7 to 14 inches. And the FAA is pretty darn close at, uh, at 6 to 12 inches. That's a, that, that's a recommended grass height by the FAA. That's a grass height that's uh, thought to make flocking birds uh, uncomfortable. Uh, lots of birds flock, and so they like to communicate with one another. And uh, that intermediate grass height just makes it a little bit difficult for them to do that. Another point is it makes it difficult for birds to see uh, uh, their predators, uh, other bigger birds that are up there flying around trying to eat them. So they need to be continuously wary of, uh, of their predators as well as uh, what they're looking for, for for their own food. So they might leave your airfield and go to a golf course like 15 miles away where the, the grass is mowed all the way down to the nub. And uh, that's, that's just an excellent technique to dissuade birds from loafing on your airfield, maintain a grass height that's uncomfortable to them. Another technique an airfield can use to guard against four-legged wildlife, such as deer, coyotes, rabbits, and maybe even those cows that Jeff mentioned earlier, the airfield should have a tall fence around it. One recommendation is a, an eight-foot-high fence, a chain-link fence, with three feet of uh, angled uh, uh, barbed wire, and that works pretty well in keeping most four-legged wildlife uh, away from your airfield. Even, uh, and it should go right down into the concrete below it, no openings below it because uh, even small wildlife, such as ground squirrels, rabbits, and so forth, can, if, if they can walk under the fence, if there's an opening there, uh, they are in themselves are not a threat to aircraft, but they may be preyed on by large raptors, such as a red-tailed hawk, which is a two-and-a-half-pound bird, you know, that can cause a great deal of damage to a, to a fast-moving uh, airplane. Yeah, but all bets are off if the cows have wire cutters. <laughs> if they've got white, that's like right. Like a if, if that happens, you're, you're back to the drawing board, you know, I would say. Uh, airfield management can also scare birds away using scare cartridges. Uh, they just make a big loud noise and uh, create a discomfort zone for the birds that happen to be loafing around on your airfield. Not, another technique is propane cannons. They produce an un, a discomfort zone because they make pretty loud noises. Birds don't seem to like those. Falconry, uh, some, uh, some airfields use trained raptors like falcons and, and hawks which uh, also create a discomfort zone for birds that may be on the airfield. Uh, and there are also man-made drone raptors that look just like, just like birds, radio-controlled drones. Depredation, you've always got that, but that's a last resort. I like wildlife, and I don't want birds to get hit by airplanes, and I don't want airplanes to get damaged by birds. So it's mutually beneficial. Yeah, you can move the habitats. Too. I know when I was T-37 instructor at Williams Air Force Base in Arizona, we had a red-tailed hawk that liked to circle right at the approach end of the runway every day. We, we were afraid that the bird was going to hit an airplane. It was going to damage the airplane. We might lose the airplane. We had a USDA biologist come out and asked him, and we took him out and showed him and, uh, <laughs> the hawk circling. And he says, well, you can't kill it because it's an endangered species. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, you know, that kind of limits our options. He goes, no, you can move the habitat. And what it was doing was it was uh, circling right at the approach end because there were a whole bunch of uh, gopher holes. Uh -huh. So we ended up moving the gophers in the gopher holes and the, uh, the red-tailed red hawk moved. <laughs> so you can always change the habitats with that too. Another issue we had, too, was a private contractor wanted to put a landfill right under outside downwind for the T-38s. And a safety, you know, we got involved in that and got that turned off because obviously, you know, that was a hazard to airplanes and also a uh, hazard to the birds. So working with the uh, local folks to find out exactly what's going on, the uh, 
landfill was a, a big surprise to us, and we knew we had to get it turned off. So Excellent. You were able to do that, Jeff. In my case, I was uh, chief of safety at a large Air Force Reserve base. Uh, in my case, I had uh, pre-existing landfills. They're already there and operating. I was able to actually partner up with the three landfills that flanked my base on both sides of the main runway, two on one side, one on the other. And I was very pleasantly surprised that the operations managers of the airfield wanted to work with us on the base and do whatever they could to help manage the risk. Uh, they didn't want the Air Force to, uh, to sustain any damage uh, to the airplanes or worse uh, due to wildlife that may have come from their landfills. So, and birds are attracted to any source of food, and a landfill can be a pretty attractive source of food. So well, I'm kind of like that. I'm kind of attracted <laughs> to any source of food. <laughs> yeah, and so are the birds. And they don't know they're anywhere near yeah. an airport. Yeah. They just do what they do, you know? You know, one of the things, I've been investigating airplane mishaps for years, and bird strikes probably take up, today, at least 50% of, of the mishaps or the incidents that we look at. And I don't know, Dave, if you'll echo this sentiment or not, but over the years, I think I might have become just a little cynical because when I look up now and I see a flock of migrating geese, all I see is a bird strike, you know, a bird strike <laughs> potential, you know, something that's waiting to happen and, and a report I'm going to have to work on. In addition to the techniques used by the airfields, aircrew can also perform preventative measures before flying. Another technique is bird radar. At least a couple of Air Force bases use it. I've been to the one at Beale where uh, birds are actually picked up on radar. And then you have to figure out how to manage the risk from there once you see what you have at the, you know, at the airfield. Well, they didn't have that radar on that day that uh, I flew those, <laughs> those scud-running ducks, I'll tell you that. <laughs> they probably would have showed up pretty good on the radar. And some airfields have these plastic pins on top of all the vertical surfaces on the airfield. So that, that can reduce or eliminate perching. They're, they look like little needles, but they're made out of plastic. An airfield has a lot of signage, and any sign uh, can be a perching uh, attractant to uh, birds. You know, another good technique for aircrew is if you're going TDY to location or you're going to an outbase, is to make sure to check what the, the bird hazard is at that base. Uh, you could take off from base A and have no bird hazard at all, fly a thousand miles and be in the middle of a spring migration uh, period <laughs> at that base. So a good technique for air crew is, well, one we talked about, if you see a bird or wildlife hazard, let the tower know. And the second one is where you're going, make sure you know what the, the hazard is. Good point. I should point out that there's a wealth of information and expertise available uh, from an organization called Bird Strike Committee USA. If you go to www.birdstrike.org, uh, you'll see it. Uh, membership is free. You can volunteer to be on one of the many committees. Uh, the newsletters are extremely informative. They host an annual Bird Strike Conference, which is attended by subject matter experts from all over the world, and a lot more. That's uh, www.birdstrike.org. Maintaining grass levels, using fences, and knowing the bird watch conditions are all useful measures to prevent aircraft bird strikes. Dave will now talk about some techniques that are not effective for preventing bird strikes. I will mention a couple of techniques you should avoid because they simply do not work. Rubber snakes, rubber owls, for instance, uh, do not work. 
I, I once saw a big inflated balloon with a really mean face on it, and the birds are unimpressed by these types of things. Anyway, it's a manageable risk. Yeah, and, and uh, fly safe. Until next time. All right, Dave. Good there talking you go. to you. Good talking to you as always. Today, Dave and Jeff shared with us their expertise on preventing wildlife airstrikes as well as their personal experiences with these incidents. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Flight Talk, brought to you by Strategic Results. We hope you enjoyed listening. 